0: Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church Podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. Well, hello and welcome everyone. It's at Pursue. Church, it is so amazing to have you with us today. Welcome to the Christians United for Israel Never Again webinar. We have such an amazing panel for you today. Um, and of course, we have the fabulous Mr. Irving Roth, a Holocaust survivor, and his story is incredible. So you are in for a treat. Uh, my name is Cherith Runyon. I am a coordinator with Kufi on campus, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and I am helping host this meeting today. So with that, I am going and he is going to take you through the timeline of Israel and why we should support it. So, Lyndon, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you very much, Cherith. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Christians United for Israel Why Israel event. We have a lot to share with you, and we are going to get started right now. First and foremost, I want to do thank Pastor Matt for pulling this together. Uh, without him, we wouldn't be doing it, and I'm deeply appreciative to him. As you can see. The big question is, why Israel? I'll tell you why Israel. Without Israel, we, friends, are not redeemed. Our Messiah came through Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, The Lord is redeeming the planet in so many ways through this precious nation and its people. So stay tuned, watch what we're going to do, and you will be a part of it, and we are hoping that you join the cause. I'm very thankful to also to our city director in Corpus Christi, and he is a dear, dear friend. He and his precious wife, uh, Pastor Brian Sanchez and his wife, Amy. Brian, if you wouldn't mind standing and, and being recognized. I can't see you and hear, but I'm sure you're being recognized. Brian Sanchez and his wife, Amy. They worked very hard in Corpus Christi and also uh, connected me to Pastor Matt, whom I hope will join me in Israel soon and uh, very soon. Christians United for Israel is an organization that started in 2006 by Pastor John Hagee, and the purpose for doing so is he did not want to have happen on our watch as Christians what happened 85 years ago under the foul leadership of Nazi Germany and the the church was complicit because the church was silent in the midst of horrid, rabid anti-Semitism growing and growing and growing in Germany. Sadly, the church said nothing. Well, we're not going to do that this time around. And our guest speaker today, Mr. Irving Roth, sadly, he has to experience for the second time in his life anti-Semitism rearing its foul, ugly head. And he'll have more to say about that later. But Christian United for Israel is an organization that seeks to make sure that U.S. policy and U.S. legislation is squarely in line with standing with Israel and the Jewish people and not detrimental, but always, always helpful. Always helpful. Christian United for Israel was deeply connected to the moving of the embassy from Tel Aviv, our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Christian Zan for Israel, Kufai was behind and, and deeply supportive of the president's desire to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh Kufai has had legislative wins from the standpoint of we are not we are we want none of our tax dollars to go to the Palestinian Authority because they would take our tax money and pay terrorists to harm innocent people. Once Kufai found that out, it's called the Taylor Force Act. Once Kufa found that out, we said, no, that has to stop. And we pressed our legislative officials to pass legislation that halted those tax dollars from going over to the Palestinian Authority. It was a massive legislative win. It affected the world. And we want you to be a part of that effort. And when we get together in DC, uh, we really make a lot of noise. And our legislators know that we are present and we're coming with a legislative agenda to make sure that America stands with Israel and the Jewish people. You know, the Bible says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And that's in Genesis chapter 12. Now, when the Lord says that, what he's saying is he's speaking to Abram and he's saying to Abram, anyone who harms you, and he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, calling him father of many nations. Anyone who harms you, they're going to have to answer to me. Now, why would he be so emphatic? Because the Messiah was coming. The Messiah was coming. And Israel and the Jewish people have everything to do with our Savior being born. So do we want the U.S. and Israel to have a strong relationship where there's no daylight between us? The answer to that is categorically Yes, that's why we have our flags on display together. Truly, our nations together are stronger. When we go to D.C. this year, we didn't do it. Uh, We had uh, COVID issues that we're all dealing with. So our national summit was virtual this year. But I want to give you a taste of what we look like when we get together in person. Christians United for Israel in D.C. for our national summit. Take a look and listen.
2: John Hagee, the chairman of Christians United for Israel. Along with 400 of America's top Christian leaders, I founded CUFI in 2006. With more than 7 million members, we've grown to become the largest pro-Israel organization in the United States. CUFI is the foremost Christian organization educating and empowering millions of Americans to speak and act with one voice in defense of Israel and the Jewish people, CFI's diversity across political, ethnic, generational, and denominational lines maximizes our impact in communities, the media, on campus, and in our nation's capital. At CUFI, we are a unified voice speaking truth to elected officials, making sure that the evil of anti-Semitism and the darkness of hatred that spawns war, terror, and persecution of the Jewish people are defeated by the unity of God's people. Our goal is to protect Israel against lies, boycotts, bad theology, and political threats. In 2008, We started CUFI on campus to combat the rising tide of anti-Semitism at America's universities. CUFI on campus is preparing a new generation to bless and defend Israel on campus and beyond, empowering young Christian students to know the truth about Israel and to stand up for their Jewish friends. Our Israel Collective initiative provides millennial Christian leaders with opportunities to connect with the land, history, and people of Israel. The Israel Collective is changing the way millions of young adults see the Jewish state. At the start of 2016, we launched The Watchman on TBN, hosted by Eric Stackelbach. The Watchman spotlights the rising security threats facing America and Israel, showcases the miraculous stories of how Israel is light unto the nations, and highlights the work CUFI does to make Israel stronger and her people safer every day. The Watchman has become one of TBN's most popular Friday night primetime shows, and was recently brought to the airwaves on Fox Business Network as well. We've taken thousands of pastors millennial influencers, and college high school students to Israel and brought them back with a blazing passion that transforms their love of Israel into active support. Every person we've taken to Israel represents thousands more who are influenced by these leaders. Our diversity outreach team is is growing CUFI's support in a wide range of communities across the United States. Love for Israel unites believers of every background and culture. Every summer, Christians United for Israel gathers in our nation's capital for the annual Washington DC summit. Thousands of passionate pro-Israel Christians unite to celebrate our love for the God of Israel and his people in the land. The Washington Summit attracts the top speakers and Middle East experts in the field, as well as influential leaders from Jerusalem and Washington. With the help of every pro-Israel Christian, we can safeguard Israel's future join Christians United for Israel and we'll teach you how to take your place as a watchman on the walls of
1: Jerusalem.
2: The movement is over 7 million voices strong. Add yours today. And we have
1: grown to 8 million plus now and we would love for you to join our ranks. Why is that so important? Because Israel and the Jewish people, like I said earlier, represent the salvation, the redemption of planet Earth. It's that simple. Uh, When Jesus Christ returns and when the Messiah comes, not coming to Corpus Christi, and I know Corpus Christi looks great. I've been on the shore there. It's beautiful. That marina is gorgeous. He's not coming there. He's not coming to my city. He's not coming to Malibu or not coming to any other gorgeous coast. He's coming back to Jerusalem, the city that represents not only the capital of Israel, but the capital of the kingdom of God on planet Earth. And when the Messiah comes, that's where he's returning to. So we need to keep our eye on Israel. From the scriptures, John 4, 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Where did Jesus Christ come from? He was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. Beit is house, Lechem is bread, Bethlehem is house of bread. The bread of life came from a city called house of bread. And he came that we might have life and that much more abundantly. We're like Nehemiah. Uh, we're like Esther. We're like those people. If you want an idea of who C- Christian United for Israel is and what the people are like and what, we, what our focus is, it's just like Nehemiah, Esther, Mordecai. Well, what did they do? They spoke truth to power, they spoke to elected officials, or not necessarily elected officials, but governmental officials and spoke to them regarding issues germane to Israel. Nehemiah, he was in front of our King Azawares and, and his countenance had fallen. He was a joyful man, typically, which is where we get the passage, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That came from Nehemiah 8.10. So he was a very joyful man. And one particular day, he was in front of the king and the king saw his face, a fallen countenance and said, Nehemiah, what is up? You're usually, you know, happy-go-lucky. What, what's going on? And he told the king in that moment, because he was the king's cupbearer, he said, my city, Jerusalem is in disrepair and the wall is broken down. And the king said, what would you have me do? And in that moment, Nehemiah said a quick prayer to the Lord, a silent prayer. It's one of the few silent prayers recorded in the scriptures. And instantly the answer came to him. He said, can you give me permission to go build a wall? And it happened. The, The king opened up his checkbook and said, here, go build your wall. I want to help. So God used a man of God, one of his own, to speak to a governmental official to affect Israel. That's what Kufi does. That's what we do. Esther and Mordecai, they had to do the same. I mean, Haman came up with legislation to kill the Jews. Esther and Mordecai went to the same king that signed the legislation that Haman presented to him, went back to that king and said, obviously it was, it was uh, Esther's husband. Went back to the king and said, hey, can we come up with new legislation to save the Jews? And that's exactly what happened. And they, their lives were spared because people spoke truth to power. Use the governmental process. Use the civic process, which is exactly what we do as CUFI. We go to our governmental officials and say to them, stand with Israel and the Jewish people. It is vitally important that we do that. And it cannot die with us. You know that the passion to stand with Israel and the Jewish people can't only be with our generation or even in Irving's generation. It has to also be with young people. And let me tell you, friends, on the campuses in the United States of America today, rabid anti-Semitism is happening. It is wicked. It is ugly to the point where Jewish students can't even reveal their Jewish identity on campus for ridicule. More on that right now from our campus coordinator, Cherith Runyon. Cherith, please elaborate.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Pastor. So he is correct. Anti-Semitic activity is blowing up on campuses, especially now. There is so much more anti-Semitic activity online. Students are being harassed. They're being called out, whether they're Christian, pro-Israel, Jewish. And it is more important now than ever that we train our future leaders to um, know about Israel and why it is so important. So here at Kufan on campus, our mission is to provide those Christian student leaders with the skills, the resources, relationships, and biblical teachings they need in order to speak up on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people at this crucial time. We go to their campuses, we teach them how to table and how to have discussions with their peers and their faculty and their communities. We have meetings with them. We help them host events. We host people like Pastor Lyndon and Irving on our campuses to educate and inspire these other students to know why Israel is so important, so that when these students uh, graduate, and when they start a career, you know, we may even be training our future president, and I hope that's the case. We can have a country that moves in a direction where they continue to support God's people and to support Israel. Um, so if you know of any students who want to be a part of this or who would be a good fit, have them talk to your pastor. They can connect with us. Um more than happy to speak with them and get them in contact it would be such an amazing thing to spread the truth about Israel on our campuses and plus for our DC summit we scholarship them completely for free to go to the summit so that they can learn about these amazing truths for themselves so um, I will toss it back to pastor Lyndon but if you know of any students who would be a good fit uh, get them in touch with us so thank you so much pastor and I'll toss it back to you
1: thank you Let's continue our presentation regarding Christians United for Israel. The campus is a hotbed of activity. Friends, uh, get your young people uh, to the Washington D.C. summit. Those of uh, those of you in the in the audience who have precious young people that you'd love to see get politically in, in, engaged and we don't mind using that word it's not a bad word uh, it's only a bad word if it's for ill-gotten things it's for for evil things it's a great word if it means stopping evil in its tracks and we want to engage the political process to make sure that is the case we want anti-semitism stopped and we fight it voraciously here at christians united for israel uh, our next dc summit is going to be july 18th through the 20th uh, 2021 we would love to see you there go to kufi.org at cufi.org uh, Brian Sanchez will have information for you at the end of our presentation to get you connected to kufi to join our ranks to sign the Israel pledge card it's not necessarily a pledge for money it's a pledge that says you'll stand with Israel you'll you 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 believe that Israel has a right to live in their ancient homeland and, and not be harassed by aggressive nations around them So it's a a pledge to stand in a way that the German Christians did not stand. We want American Christians to stand with Israel and Brian can help you with that at the end of the service. Moving on. This passage really indicates from Amos chapter nine, clearly that the people in the land today are identified right here in Amos nine reading the passage and I this is God speaking and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. The key question is what exile is Amos referring to? Is the prophet referring to God speaking through that prophet? What exile is he referring to? Is it the Babylonian exile? I would say no. It's not. And here what? Here's why it's not the Babylonian exile, but indeed the Roman exile. I will bring my people back From exile, they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel. So he's playing on this planting metaphor. They're going to plant vineyards. They're going to be fruitful. I'm going to plant Israel and they're going to be fruitful. They too will be fruitful. fruitful. But when, when is this calling back? I will plant them in their own land. Never again. See that? never again to be uprooted. See, this is why it's the Roman exile. This is why it's not the Babylonian exile because after the Babylonian exile, they came back to the land, but they were again uprooted by whom? The Romans. See, the Romans uprooted them and then scattered them. The Babylonians did not scatter the Jews. The Babylonians just exiled them into Babylon and that's where they were for 70 years and Then it kind of trickled back. And then the Romans came in AD 70 and uprooted them. Of course, the Romans had occupied it for longer than, than uh, AD 70. They'd been there almost 200 years prior. Uprooted them and exiled them. And not only exiled them, friends, but scattered them. North, south, east, west. That's what the Romans did. And the Lord is saying, after that exile... I'm going to bring them back and they will never again be uprooted. Let me tell you something right now, friends. The Jews who are in Israel right now, they aren't going anywhere because those are the ones to whom this applies. They will never be uprooted from this land again. And they are proving it. They are proving it. We see it when it comes to people thinking about harming Israel, let me tell you, Israel now has bombs. They've got sophisticated weaponry. They have sophisticated intelligence systems to sniff out and route out anyone who thinks about existential threats to Israel, who thinks about killing them or annihilating them. Not going to happen again. But God wants to use people to make sure this doesn't happen to him. He wants to use people to be a part of this never again movement. They will be uprooted from the land that I have given them. Who's speaking again? The Lord. So when the Lord gives a stiff arm, when the Lord holds his hand up and says, you are not going to touch these people again. Trust me, uh, it's not going to happen. And we can be a part of it as Kufi. We can be a part of it as people of God who, who, whom the Lord uses to make sure this never again takes place. My generation, Jared's generation, my father's generation, and the generation of Irvin. Powerful what God is witness. What, what, what we're witnessing God do. This passage right here, we are living it right now. This passage, Amos 9, is being fulfilled right now now. The Bible is a living book. Here's the first Jews who wind up making their way back. Uh, they started even in the late 19th century, trickling back into the land. Here we have Tel Aviv in 1909. We've got 60 families gathered on a tell. A tell is a hill. So it's the Aviv Tel or Tel Aviv and they put their family names and wrote them on seashells and put them in bags and they were randomly picking out their names. So I, I could just imagine the Goldstein, Goldstein pulls out his name because it's mainly Ashkenazi Jews who were coming back. So the Goldsteins pull out their name and say, okay, uh, here's your hill right here. So man, that, that's a dusty hill. Why would I even want that? Well, it's all you have. You better do something with it. And then the Feinsteins, they, they pull out a name. Well, here's your hill. Well, it's as dusty as the Goldstein too. Well, it's okay. You better do something with it. And then the, uh, the, the Goldbergs, they pulled out a, a, a sh- their name and there's your hill. Well, it's dusty as the other two. Again, you better do something with it because this is all we have. A hundred years later, 121 to be exact, I guess they did something with it. Look at God, look what he can do. They turned a mound of dust into this. Why? Because God is involved. It's actually a picture of what our lives look like before God gets involved in them. It's dusty, nobody wants it, but God wants you. God wants to take your life from a mound of dust to something profitable, fruitful that can bless the world. He will do that with your life and he's proving that he wants to do that by ma- by materially blessing Israel. And he'll do the same for us. He'll do the same for us spiritually. We'll go from spiritual dust to a spiritually shining city. Your life in God's hands can be can do much. And the Lord is proving that by what he's promising to do and promised to do with Israel. This right here proves that there is a God and he keeps his promises. So I mentioned to you, never again, we're not going to be a part of this process of Israel being harmed. The church in the United States of America, because of Kufi, will fight anti-Semitism at every point. And we're using media at Kufai to do so, the film industry to do so. We are throwing our works in that realm to tell the story of Irving Roth and Kasim Hafiz. Kasim Hafiz was a Muslim in training for terrorism, whom God got a hold of, flipped his heart, and now he works with us. He's on our side. But he he wants to tell the story of how the Lord turned his heart. And we parallel that story with the story of our guest speaker today, Irving Robb. Never Again is our upcoming documentary, which will be released uh, in the fall. And here, friends, is a clip from the documentary, Never Again. all begins with words
2: uttered by individuals, by all other-
1: that it all begins with words, and his words are going to be on the silver screen coming this fall 2020.
3: It all begins with words.
1: Well, look at that. I guess we want to do it again. Friends, Irving has digits tattooed on him that Hitler, Hitler's machine put on him. The number is a one zero four nine one and Hitler marked him for destruction they gave him a number 10,491 and that number represented him being reduced to just something to be exterminated uh, reduced to like that of of a bug And I'm quite familiar with what it means to be dehumanized. There are cultures that have been dehumanized and wicked things happen when man dehumanizes his fellow man. Well, for the next 30 minutes, you're gonna be hearing from Irving Roth. He's gonna be telling his story uh, about how he was marked for death. But today, these same digits are a reminder that God can snatch someone out of the, the jaws of death and bring life, and he's going to bring life and hope to us through the words of Irving Roth. Friends, without further ado, our guest speaker who, who's on camera right now, Mr. Irving Roth. Irving, next 30 minutes, the time is yours, friend.
3: Thank you very much. It was 1929, halfway between World War I and World War II, when I was born living in a wonderful place in a democracy in the center of Europe called Czechoslovakia, the child of Jewish parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. I live in a city of 6,500 people in peace and harmony, because after all, Czechoslovakia was born in 1918, emulating totally what America is the best of America is. So I am born into this city, into this family. By age six, I begin my schooling. It's a wonderful day. For me, it's a school, a public school where I go to school with Jews and Catholics and Protestants and Russian Orthodox and gypsies going to school together. It's a wonderfully brand new school. I thought it's wonderful that when I start school at age six, they built a new school in my town. And so I look around and I see students, some I didn't know. In fact, I would say my class had something unusual. And that is, as I looked around, the most beautiful girl that I've ever seen in my life is in my class. And so I figured school is good. I want to know her. Well it turns out I did, I was a Orthodox Jew, she was an Orthodox Christian, specifically Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, but we were friends, we were able to do, sit together in her house or my house and do homework together, go to school, I carried her books, on some occasions I even held her hands. And so I live in this perfectly harmonious place. My father is in a business. He produces railroad ties, ships them all over Europe. I'm a Jewish student. Therefore, I go to Jewish school in the afternoon as the Catholic kids go to catechism class and other Christians go to their own classes. There is no difference between us. My father has his business. He has friends who are Christian, Jews, Russian Orthodox, you name it. It's a harmonious place to live. But all that changes. All that changes because in Germany, in 1933, everything changes. A new government comes into being in Germany, and it begins to export its ideas. A country that decides by a vote to elect a Nazi government, a fascist Nazi government that despises Jews because they're Jews for no other reason. And not only they put laws into action in Germany, some of them you may have heard of. Jews, there's a boycott against the Jewish people in Germany in 1933 beginning in April 1st, about 60 days after the Nazi government took over. Through the vote, I might point out, the people of Germany actually voted this political power, this political group into power. And so they begin the process. And by 1939 they have begun to expand. Czechoslovakia is no longer a state anymore. It's not an independent country anymore. The western portion becomes part of Germany, the eastern part of Hungary. And where I live is a new country called Slovakia. Elected by the people. But this new government is exactly the same as the one in Germany. A fascist, Nazi government. Who hates me? Now, how do I know this? I was born in 1929. Here I'm 10 years old, well, almost 10 years old. And suddenly I realize that I'm persecuted. I'm picked up. One morning in the summer of 39, I get up to meet my friends in the park. And what happens? I can't go in because there's a sign. Jews and dogs are forbidden to enter. And should I enter the park, the police will arrest me. Me, a 10-year-old, and soon more laws. I have to be identified on the street with a yellow star. I can't go out at night. I cannot go shopping only at a specific time of day, between 3 and 4 in the afternoon. Neither can my mother run any other. Limitations, persecution continues. Now, Slovakia is a very cold country. Unlike Corpus Christi, we have snow. It begins in November and doesn't finish by April. And so you wear warm clothing. And I, very fortunate, I have a sheepskin jacket. But that's made of fur. And therefore, I'm not allowed to wear it, nor am I allowed to own it. I have to deliver that jacket of mine to the police department. That's what I must do, by law, and if I don't, I'll be arrested. All Jewish women, and men for that matter, any jewelry they have which is made of gold must be delivered to the police department. And very soon other things happen. Parents tell their children, not to associate with Jews. So my wonderful friend's father tells her, don't talk to Irving Roth anymore because he's a Jew. He is different than us. is not part of us. And in fact, the newspaper carries articles continuously. Jews don't belong. On top of the newspaper is the name of the paper, and the bottom of the newspaper said, Slovakia is for Slovaks. Just like in Germany, newspapers have the name of the paper on top, and in the bottom of it, As a newspaper comes out, it says, Jews are our misfortune. And articles about the destruction of the Jewish people. And so this continues by 1940, Jewish attorneys can no longer practice law in my or any place in Slovakia. And then comes a law. Jews are no longer allowed to own any business whether it's a small grocery store or a large business as my father had. And to prevent someone just walking in, a Christian walking in and taking my father's business away from him, he decided to contact one of his very dear friends. Albert was his name. And asked Albert, do me a favor. I would really appreciate it if I changed the name of my business to your name. And this way... It's a Christian business and no one can touch it. And I'll compensate you for that. And so Albert says to my father, we've been friends for decades, of course I will do it. anything you need. Let's sign the papers and they do. And the Jewish businesses are being taken over. In fact, in my town, there are more people who want Jewish businesses and Jewish businesses exist. Our neighbors, our friends, are now greedily taking away Jewish business. Of course, my father's business is now a Christian business. It's Albert's name. And one day, Albert comes into my father's office and states very simply, you know, Joe, how is business? says, my father, great. I really appreciate what you're doing for me. See, that's what I came to talk to you about and I like the way you are running my business. I'm not gonna fire you. You can continue as the manager but remember the business is mine. So here this wonderful Christian friend who goes to church, who believes in God and the Ten Commandments thinks nothing of taking over my father's business because he can. And suddenly my father is an employee and Albert is the owner. People are transformed. People have been your friends, people have been your neighbors, are now persecuting, and this goes on. So Jews in Slovakia hardly can make a living. Poverty. Is the name of the game for the Jewish people, starting in 1940. And this is happening in every place in Europe where Nazi Germany and its allies, like Italy, Bulgaria, and Hungary, and Slovakia, take over. Persecution of Jews, taking away their livelihood, limiting when they can be out on the street. All that is taking place and more and more countries are taken over by Germany and its allies. Suddenly France disappears, Belgium disappears, Holland disappears, Norway disappears. By 1941 June, most of Europe is in the hands of Germany, Italy, Bulgaria, Slovakia, Hungary, Finland, and by 1941 they decide, Germany and its allies decide it's time to take over the Soviet Union. And so, in June of 1941, Germany had, had a contract, an agreement with the Soviet Union, they will not attack us, we will not attack you, sometimes referred to as the Ribbentrop-Molotov agreement. But that does not matter the nations sometimes. It's just a piece of paper. And at the end of June of 1941, Germany attacks the Soviet Union. Deep into the Soviet Union go Germany, and you would think that Germany and Hungary and Slovakia are together, deep into the Soviet Union. And then you'd imagine they would begin the persecution of Jews. Well, they don't quite do that. What they do is they murder the Jews in the Soviet Union starting in the summer of 1941 day after day week after week month after month the Jews of the Soviet Union are murdered en masse. special units the German army and other armies simply murdered by bullets thousand ten thousand five thousand ten thousand a day throughout the Soviet Union. By the end of 1941, they have murdered over a half a million Jews. Out of a total living in all over Europe, close to 11 million. And since the objective is the destruction of Jews, the annihilation, and complete physical annihilation of every single Jew, the rate at which working, not really working out. Why? Because they murdered a half a million Jews in six months. At that rate, it's going to take 11 years to get rid of every single Jew in Europe. And that totally is unacceptable. And so on the 20th of January of 1942, there's a conference outside of Berlin. Sitting in this conference is the brain trust of German. Physicists, chemists, doctors, military personnel sitting around the table and they have a single function. And that is to come up with a solution, the final solution to the Jewish question. How in the shortest possible time, at the least cost, we'll be able to destroy, annihilate all the Jews of Europe. All 11 million of them. The rate that is happening right now in the Soviet Union is totally unacceptable because all we did is a half a million. In six months and so in a year we can do a million. It'll take us 11 years to get rid of every single Jew to make Europe Judenrein free and clear of Jews. And so this group of brains one-third of who have PhDs in various disciplines in 90 minutes come up with a plan will build death camps. Take the Jews from all over Europe, bring them to these death camps and there we'll have gas chambers and crematoria where you're gonna murder the Jews and burn their bodies. All that's gonna be left of the Jews of Europe is ashes. That was done in 90 minutes. The plan is ready. Within six months, it's in operation six death camps are in operation. In my city live 2,000 Jews. The summer of 1942, 1,800 of these Jews are picked up in the middle of the night, brought into the synagogue, stuffed in there like herring basically, because there is no room. The synagogue normally be occupied by 400 people maximum 450. Now you have 1800. Well the building was a nice one on the outside and the inside but it had no bathrooms and no running water and no air conditioning. It's summertime in a space normally occupied by 400 people now 1800 men women and children. Therefore a day and a half no bathrooms, no running water. Then a have to the doors are open under God. The Jews are taken to the railroad station. At the station are cattle cars. The Jews are stuffed into those boxes, ninety hundred into each box. There's no rooms to sit. Half the people or three quarters of the people must stand while the other sits. There are no benches. There are no windows. No bathrooms. the trains leave. I have no idea where. I am not in the train because my father is still running Albert's business. And he still needs them temporarily. They disappear. My friends, my relatives are gone. What happened to them? They're taken to Auschwitz and Maidanek and Treblinka and murder, and their bodies burn. A few months go by, and suddenly more Jews are taken away. My grandfather is arrested, my grandmother. We managed to get him out. But we know we are in trouble. And so we must leave. We must disappear because if we stay around, eventually they take us again. There'll be no one to take us out. And so we decide to cross the border into Hungary. Hungary, though being a country that persecutes Jews, but they don't ship them out. The only people they shipped out are those who were not citizens of Hungary. The Hungarian, the Jews who are Hungarian citizens, are left there. The 20,000 or so who have no citizenship are shipped out to murder. We don't know that. We hear rumors, but we don't believe it. And so we cross into Hungary, one of the few countries in Europe that has not began the process of getting rid of the Jews. What they've done is got rid of the Polish Jews and Russian Jews and people who are not c- citizens. The men are all in the slave labor force, the Jewish men, attached to the army and they build roads and fix bridges and march in front of tanks to make sure the tanks don't get blown up by mines. But the families are at home. And so we managed to cross into Hungary. It's 1943. If you look at the history books of 1943 where the American army is, by this time they've taken over all of Italy. By early 1944, it's time for the invasion of France or whoever or wherever. The war is not going well for the Nazi groups, for Hungary and Slovakia, and Germany, and Italy. America has been in the war with their force, their technology, together with. England and together with the Soviet Union, they're pushing on the Soviet, on the German, and its combined forces out of the Soviet Union, out of Italy, bombing of Germany day and night, destroying their ability to make war, and soon the war will be over. Nazi Germany, Hungary will lose the war, Slovakia, lose the war. Nazis will be destroyed. And I am living in a small village in Hungary with my grandfather, grandmother, aunt and cousins. My parents are in Budapest. Why? Because my father needs a job in a little village. He couldn't get a job as an accountant. But in the f- spring of 1944, the Jews of Hungary who are still at home. The men are in the slave labor force. Those who that at home, 437,000 human beings, Jews, taken from their home into cattle cars to Auschwitz, 90% murdered upon arrival. And so on that day in the spring of 1944, I arrived in Auschwitz, I'm 14 and a half years old with my brother, who's almost 18. My grandfather, grandmother, aunt and cousins. The train stops. And in the train stuffed in those boxes for three days and three nights. The train stops, it's nighttime. It slid open the doors and told us to get out and take nothing with you. And we so jump off the train look around and I see guards telling me, get out quickly, take nothing with you. In the distance, I see flames coming out of chimneys. Very scary. My parents are someplace in Budapest. I know not what's happening to them. And suddenly I'm separated from my grandfather, grandmother, my aunt, my 10-year-old cousin. Men and in their 15, 16-year-olds to about 35, 40-year-olds are separated from everyone else. Mostly old people. Children. Children, their parents, with mothers. Those are separated from us. So 3,700 go one way and 300 another way. I go into 300. I was selected to live temporarily. My grandfather, grandmother, and that night were murdered. And by next day they were ashes, the crime they committed that they were born Jews. And I'm shipped off to work, mind you I'm not fourteen and a half years old. I am working with horses, plowing the fields and draining the swamps early morning to late at night on a diet of some black liquid in the morning, some soup at noon and some bread at night. I'm always hungry, I'm always tired. But I want to live. My brother encourages me. I work from early morning to late at night. Some nights we come back from work, and we're taken to take a shower. But as you get undressed, suddenly, There's a doctor in uniform, a German doctor in uniform, who decides if you should live or die. My brother and I are lucky. We're selected to live once, twice, three times. The war's coming to an end from my perspective because we hear rumors that the Russian army is 50 miles from this place called Auschwitz. But I am the prisoner. And so one morning on the 18th of January, of the 1.2 or 1.5 million, 1.25 million people who were brought to Auschwitz, 60,000 are still alive. The rest have become ashes on that morning. We're not going to work. We're going away from the Russian army on a death march for three days and three nights. I finally wound up in a new camp called Buchenwald. And here, there are 60,000 people who are brought to Buchenwald, a camp that was built for 5,000. And so the food consists of a boiled potato every second day. Unusual on some unusual days, some soup and no bread. But of course, coming to an end by the tenth of April, Jews have been taken away from Buchenwald too, death marches. And on the tenth of April, there are less than twenty thousand Jews left there what the death march is so I'm going to hide and I hide under a building and a guard comes along with the dog finds me and I'm standing in front of the building and I'm not so sure I'm going to survive one day because I'm down to 75 pounds and suddenly the siren goes off and the air raid takes place for a whole day and I survive another day. By the 11th of April of 1945 in the morning things are not moving fast at 12 o'clock all the guards have disappeared whether they be German Hungarian or Ukrainian or Lithuanians they disappeared and 3 o'clock in the afternoon two American soldiers walked into my barracks I'm not gonna die oh it's gonna happen to me I'm gonna be fed that's all the American army wanted to do feed us they took the kids out of the barracks marched them out to the place where the German officers lived, gave us new clothing, fed us. For me, World War II was over. The death camp was done with. I'm alone in the middle of Germany. What am I supposed to do? I'm 15 years old, 15 and a half years old. The camp is being emptied out by the American soldiers because the war is over on May 8th, a month later trying to disassemble the camp. Where do you want to go, says the American commander, and I decide to go back. But just in case someone in my family is alive. And after days of traveling and marching, because most of the tunnels and bridges are blown up, I finally get to the village from where I was taken. First person I see, I ask them, did anybody from the royal family survive And he says, yeah, sure. Many Jews came back. Where? I said, run over, open up the door, and there is my mother. My mother and my father survived. They survived in Budapest with the help of a Christian family. The few, the righteous Gentiles, looked at what, what's going on and said, no, this can't go on. I must do something parents survived. I had parents at age 15 and a half. Most unusual. Most kids of my age, if they survived, they had no parents. But we weren't welcome. Not at all. Our old neighbors did not change suddenly and became the friendliest, giving back our furniture, giving back our businesses. No, they didn't want us there. And so the Jews, by and large, had to leave. I was fortunate I could come to America, but most people were not. And so the Jews remain in camps. Displaced persons camp. No place to go. No country wants them. England is controlling the place called Palestine, and they don't want any, any Jews in. They've started the quota system, in Palestine in 1939. When the Jews were being persecuted, they had no places to go, they closed the gates. In fact, if a Jew snuck into Palestine after the war, after 1945 and 46 and even the beginning of 47 and was caught on land, they were put into a camp, a concentration camp, by the British in Palestine. America had closed its doors very early. They had a quota system already in the 1920s. And so the Jews were stuck in Europe, in the camps. What were they doing? They began to build families. They did not go out and begin murder. The revenge? No. They simply tried to survive. learn to trade. Begin to build families. And that was until 1948 when the Jewish state was reestablished, as you heard, after 2,000 years of exile. And the Romans chased the Jews out throughout the world in the beginning of the year 73 of the Common Era. The Jews finally... Get back in 1948. And they begin to build a state, an economy, making the desert bloom, trying to get rid of the malaria that still existed, which they began to get rid of in the early 20th century. But unfortunately, the Arab nations attacked this fledgling state in 1948. Risen. Continued. Another war in 56. 1967, 1973, 1980, 2000. After every war, the Jews living in Israel said to the Palestinian people and the Arab nations, let's sit down and talk. Let's set up borders. Let's work together. Let's form economic help to each other. We know how to make the desert boom. We'll help you. The answer was no, we don't want to talk to you. And they tried to make the Jews the evil ones. And so the propaganda machine began to work. Germany, England, even in the United States, the propaganda machine against the Jewish people is continuing on the college campus and many other places. The Jews want to survive in their own land. After 2000 years of exile, the Jewish people have built up their own land. A small piece from the original Palestine, or the original Israel, of Judea and Samaria, and the Golan Heights, and finally, They're trying to make a life for themselves. Help whoever needs, any nation. Last week, there was an explosion in Beirut. And so the Jewish people said to the people of Beirut, we'll help you out. We know how to handle terrorism or or any natural disaster or unnatural disaster. We'll help you. They need the help. And so they will not accept it directly through the UN. They will accept the help from the Jewish people. But the hatred continues, terrorism continues. And that is why my heart thanks Kufi in America. Why? Because Kufay says that the Jewish people have the right to exist. They'll do everything possible through Congress of the United States if necessary. Push for the existence of the Jewish people. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people have prayed the return to, to Jerusalem. Yet there are people today who say, no, the Jews should not have their capital in Jerusalem. It was there 3,000 years ago as the capital of Jerusalem. Through Kufa, finally. America was the first state that said, well, the Jews have had their capital in Jerusalem for 2,000 years. Why not return it there? And so, with the help of Kufa, he was returned. And so, my friends, Kufi has been the strength, the help, I often think of it as stability for a chair can take place if you have three legs, as a minimum. And today, the Jewish people have an army, navy, and air force, and certainly it's a powerful leg. But it cannot stand alone. And so Kufai is a second leg. And with God's help, a third leg. Israel should remain alive for generations, for a thousand years. And I pray, and I beg you, join Kufay. The Jewish people need you. Because without you, we may not be able to survive. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Excellent, excellent, Irving, as usual. Thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for joining, and I know you did, his presentation. Uh, it, it's heartfelt, heartfelt. Uh, Pastor Matt, I see that you have joined us. Thank you very much, friend. Uh, we could not have done this uh, without you. We deeply appreciate your support of Kufai.
0: Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing, If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.